This is the Hoff Time Report with Idaho Freedom Foundation President Wayne Hoffman, one of Idaho's most respected, influential public policy voices. Hey, welcome back. It's another Hoff Time Report, our favorite time of the day, Hoff Time, right? And we're here with two very special guests. We've got Representative Priscilla Giddings from Whitebird and Fred Birnbaum, who's our Legislative Affairs Director. We're going to talk today about the budget because the budget is the only thing the legislature has to do each and every legislative session. And this year, there is the most challenging budget I think this legislature has ever faced. Billions of dollars racing into the state budget, and you guys have to figure that whole thing out where to start. What are you most concerned about with this year's proposal? There's a lot of red flags in this year's budget. Um, the, the first one that I'm looking at is my constituents are ready for the emergency to end. And they're being fed a false narrative that if the emergency ends, the state isn't going to get millions and millions and millions of dollars. And that's just not true. And so I want Idahoans to know the facts about how much money could be in jeopardy and that we don't need to be a welfare state dependent on FEMA dollars. We can get through um, a, a virus with, without dependency on the federal government. Fred? Well, just to, to follow up on Representative Giddings' point, uh, about $8 billion has flowed into Idaho in, in this last calendar year. Not all of that is appropriated. But my biggest fear is that a lot of this money will drive permanent spending increases if it's not managed correctly. And I'll give you one really quick example. The Office of the State Board of Education usually has a $16 million budget. Over $100 million is being washed through there. And sure enough, in 22, they want to add positions. So I think a huge red flag is, is all this federal money going to end up growing Idaho's government permanently. So you have a $16 million budget, an agency that's handling 10 times that amount. No, not quite, but it's, it's a significant sum of money. And there's a concern that that money just won't go. How much money? So we've been told that if you end the emergency, that we're going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. True or not? Not true. I mean, we're, we're still kind of digging into the specific FEMA Dollars, but our state has brought in about eight billion total. The governor has been appropriating about one point two billion, and there might be about fifteen to twenty million on the line with FEMA dollars that the state could just use our surplus to to backfill those projects. Yeah, it just seemed like last year when we were talking about the CARES Act money that was rolling into the state that. The state of Idaho couldn't spend the money. There weren't enough things to spend it on. And now suddenly we're worried about, you know, not having enough money, which is just shocking, isn't it? What a strange place to be. For me specifically that's frustrating is that if the governor is so worried about not having enough money for the COVID um, problems, then why in his budget is he recommending using some of this federal money for state projects? And that aren't even related to COVID. So we, we really have to look at that uh, with a microscope. What's the answer to that question? Why are we spending money on projects that have nothing to do with COVID using these federal dollars? I mean, I think it's because we can would be the first answer. So the, the notion is that we'll, we'll take federal dollars, displace some state dollars, and use the displaced money to fund road projects, broadband, and other things. 
It's not necessarily a bad idea, but I think the reason that many legislators have concern is it's just not very transparent. A lot of these projects are very big buckets, 50 million for water projects, for example, and some of them are dubious, 20 million for summer literacy program. So there's so much money and there's so many line items and a lot of it is federal money that I think is the concern. And then it's going to be appropriated as supplementals to make the budget growth in fiscal 22 look smaller. You know, it's kind of interesting hearing you talk about the budget. And I've, I've been watching the state budget since 1995. Normally the conversation is about, are there things that are being added to the budget? Like, um, for example, state employee compensation, uh, additional number headcounts of employees, line items that maybe grow a, an agency's function or purpose. Are those things in the budget too? Or are we so occupied by the, the federal money that's rolling in because of the RONA that we're not looking at these other things? Maybe they're not there. I think some of those things are there. Um, but really we are so focused on this shell game of bringing in, you know, $8 billion and how that's going to relate to the budget and which projects we can and can't use it for. Um, so, so we'll see a little bit of that, but not really. It's more of these, I would call them are we're focusing on pet projects that the governor wants to make his team look good and the legislature has been left out of the decision-making process and that's not the way our constitutional republic was intended to work what about medicaid i mean that's a really big item that i'm hearing very little discussion about i mean i i presume that it continues to swallow the state budget whole and no one seems to is that is that true so medicaid is proposed to be 3.6 billion dollars roughly 36% of the overall appropriation. And it's growing far faster than anyone projected two years ago when they were selling Medicaid expansion to the people of Idaho. And, and to your point, there has been very little discussion thus far. It has been on COVID and other projects. And perhaps that's what they want, is that people take their eye off the ball and, and don't ask the question, is this really affordable? Because as a percentage of the budget, it just keeps growing each and every year. Is anyone looking to rein that in? We'll get to, we had one opportunity to vote on a supplemental here this week. Uh, we'll vote on it more in upcoming weeks where I would say conservatives are trying, but we are outnumbered. And one of the big red flags for me was in the hearing where they talked about how spending for Medicaid, Medicaid expansion has now exceeded our budget on education. And education is a requirement in our Constitution. Medicaid expansion is not in there. Say that again, because I want to emphasize <laughs> that point. You're saying that Medicaid expansion, the growth in Medicaid has now exceeded. The growth in the public education budget, uh, did I understand what you just described? The comparison, the total amount spent on Medicaid versus the total amount spent on education. Medicaid is now bigger that's that extraordinary. Budget. It's unsustainable. And that's even with the proposed increases in education spending as well. Correct. What about the education budget? What are we seeing in that line item? You had Sherry Barr come in and talk about the public schools budget. What does she want? Well, she wants a lot. I mean, one of the things that 
would strike somebody who looked at the public education budget for the first time is it's not reading, writing, and arithmetic anymore. There's so many things like social-emotional learning. What is that? I don't know what that is. It's, it's supposed to make you feel better in life. <laughs> but uh, the point is that there's lots of line items. And when programs in the education sphere don't work, they don't get ended. They just add new ones. So if you were to look at the education budget, in addition to what you think of traditionally funded by the state, things like teacher salaries and maybe transportation, there are all sorts of redundant, I would call, programs to emphasize literacy and math, things that they should be doing with the base money. So these just keep getting added. And of course, now the state board wants to grow and they want to add more money for security. So I think what you're seeing is just more money into the system without any demonstrated results. And when Secretary Barr, or Superintendent Barr, excuse me, spoke, it was just sort of a continuous stream of dollars and numbers. There really wasn't any clear overarching goals that, that I could discern. I mean, is anyone really focused on the ROI? Is anyone asking questions about the return on investment? I think conservatives are really trying to um, ask, ask those questions. Um, <laughs> I, I think when we look at K through 12, there's a lot of questions. But for the most part, people have put a lot of trust in our teachers. They're our friends, they're our neighbors. And and we know that they're doing the best that they can. But where a lot of my concern and some of my fellow um, legislators' concerns is more with the higher education budget. And, and that's where we are just really taking every opportunity to drill down into that budget. And just this morning, I had the opportunity to question um, the president of BSU. And there's there's a lot of worrisome stuff going on inside their budget, and we are asking hard questions. What are the worries that you that you're, you have with Boise State's budget and with U of I and the other schools? So last year, the legislature killed the higher education budget multiple times. Um, and and it, it came back and it did eventually pass, but there that was kind of put them on notice that we are going to be digging into how they are using money. Um, this summer, we saw a, we saw a, a lot of problems. Um, the, the question that I brought up today, and hopefully we can get some answers and open up the dialogue, but they have some programs. I mean, um, one specifically, and I'm going to off the top of my head, <laughs> the the tunnel of oppression. Oppression that I had a couple of recent BSU students um, contact me and let me know that it was a graduation requirement for them to go through this tunnel of oppression. And I inquired, I mean, what, what does that mean? Why were you required to do it? And the thing that bothered me the most, most me as a, um, I, I served in our military and as a veteran, so one of the experiences in this tunnel of oppression was they had individuals dress up in military uniforms and then beat up somebody uh, on the street per se. And the student was supposed to, you know, go through this feeling experience. And that just was, to me, um, just very infuriating that, um, and there's no excuse for it. And I want to know if public money is is being used in this dialogue. Well, Fred, you've watched JFAC for many years. Has, has anyone ever asked those questions about what Boise State really does with the money or what the University of Idaho does with money or LCSC? Does anyone, or is it just about 
the percentage increase or the number of employees in, on the payroll? So, so that's actually a very good question. JFAC is a very unique committee. They have a lot of work to do. And because of that, they have to review all the budgets. They do not allow public input. So you, it's a one-way street. You just hear from the requesting agency or the university. You don't hear from the public. And it's a, it's a bit of a dog and pony show. And in my five years of watching JFAC, very few hard questions are asked. Generally, when they are, it's about some sort of issue with the program, but, but no overarching questions such as, is the philosophy that's being taught at our higher um, education institutions really consistent with what the people of Idaho believe? So no, these questions have never been answered, asked rather, and, they, and that's why they're not really prepared to answer them. So if you listen to that, they gave very rambling answers. And I think that um, what you see now happening is the discovery by a lot of legislators that BSU and these other institutions, University of Idaho, have operated without scrutiny. Could JFAC, could the legislature use the budget process as a mechanism to rein in some of those wayward programs on our university campuses? Absolutely. I would actually say that's probably the best process because really – we have a part-time legislature. They can't, they can't manage Boise State. I mean, that's a full-time job. Or University of Idaho. That's what we hire presidents who make four or 500000 a year to do. But if we have institutions that are ignoring the will of the legislature, the best way to send a signal, I believe, is to actually reduce their budget. Do you think that would happen based on the conversations you've had with legislators and with your colleagues? Is that something that people are itching to do? Well, the House did kill their budget multiple times last year, and so round two, uh, because we haven't seen the improvements that we were told we would see. Let me get back to some basic things with regard to the budget that, that obviously is going to come up. Uh, I know there's a panel that considers state employee compensation, and that panel said we're going to approve the governor's proposal to add 2% to the, 2% to the uh, state employee payroll. It doesn't mean that every employee gets 2% more. It just means they have 2% more money to spend on raises, and so employees can get 6%, 10%, 1%, anything in between. They just have more money to spend in the payroll. Is that something that JFAC is looking to approve, and should they? It's my understanding that it went through a committee last week and it was a, a narrow, very close vote and it was supported. Now it will flow through every single budget in JFAC and the only opportunity to push back on that will be if, with each individual budget on the floor from either the House or the Senate. Is it your sense that members of the legislature are favorable to that? I mean, it's kind of a strange thing because I hear from people out there in the real world outside of Boise who they've lost their jobs, they are you know have lower income, they uh, aren't getting raises, and then we're putting more money into state employee salaries, and there seems to be a, a disconnect, but maybe that's not resonating with state lawmakers and they view the state employee workforce differently some reason. I don't have an inside perspective. I think it's very difficult for legislators in general to vote against raises for people who surround them. It's a very odd way that, that raises work. I mean, in the corporate world, you don't actually go before your employees and, and sort of debate what you're going to give them as an increase. So it, it puts lawmakers in, in an uncomfortable position who rely on the staff and say, gee, I voted against your raise. 
Um, I think there needs to be a better process. I don't think we fixed that this year. It's probably not the biggest issue, but I think it is symptomatic of how things are done, which is how we've done it is the way we should always do it. And that's, that probably needs to be revisited. But I have noticed in going to those compensation committee hearings, it's very uncomfortable for members to actually be debating what raise they're going to give the people who are sitting right around them. Now, there are a lot of smaller agencies that don't get near the time and attention that the larger line items get, but you have things like the Arts Commission, the Hispanic Commission. Um, there's even a Women's Commission, which no one talks about, but does, doesn't get funded because it just doesn't get brought up. We don't talk about it. But is there a possibility this year, or even public television for that matter, is there an opportunity this legislative session to go through those agencies with a fine-tooth comb and say, is this really something we need? Is this the proper role of government? Do we really need to continue pouring money into these programs and agencies and functions of government? There's definitely the opportunity this year. You know, this is a unique year to conservatives hardcore conservatives were allowed onto the JFAC committee. And so now we're going to have the option to start voting on these tough budgets and digging into them and, and analyzing the base and really letting the public know what, um, what their money is being used for. So I think we do need to um, heighten, heighten the scrutiny and, and really look at that. And we'll pull everything up for a vote. And so the people will know that when these budgets do pass, that it's because the legislature is approving it. That's an interesting dynamic, which, I mean, you said yourself that you're outnumbered. So the 20-member committee, how many, how many people do you think are which you would describe as hardcore conservatives on the committee? Oh, there's probably just a couple of us. Just a couple. <laughs> but you have the ability to make motions. And I guess, Fred, you've seen that process many times. What does that do when you have somebody who's you know, on our side, if you will, who believes in limited government and believes in the proper role of government and wants to see spending rain? And they realize that when you're setting a budget, you're actually not just voting to set a budget, but you're voting to take money from the economy, from people who've worked hard to earn that money. And you have somebody, I guess, what is it, what dynamic is added to the equation by having even two people who are now in the mix? So I, actually, it's a very important change because in JFAC, if you make a motion, it has to be seconded. So if you only have one person, it's possible that your motion dies. So that's a good start. The second thing is that when budgets are presented on the floor, at least historically, it's with the view that these have been thoroughly vetted and that they've come out of JFAC, and it's just the role of the body to, to more or less rubber stamp these budgets because JFAC are the experts. If you have people writing alternative motions, they can get up on the floor and say, look, I understand this is what the majority wanted, but there does exist an alternative. We've presented it, it didn't pass, but as a body, you can consider this alternative because if we reject the primary, there is there was a substitute motion and it spent less money or it or did something else. So I think this is an opportunity that I haven't seen in years. The other unique part that I would like to throw in there, Wayne, is this year we're not just voting on a regular budget. We are voting on hundreds of millions of extra dollars that are coming in from the federal government because we get to decide 
if we are going to accept those federal dollars? And I think that's a really good question for Idahoans to, to ask. If there's, there's quote unquote free money, but really money that doesn't exist in our treasury, but if there's all this free money, do we take it? Do we accept it um, based on this, you know, um, emergency, quote unquote, that is developed? Well, even before the emergency, there were billions of dollars floating into the state. And a number of years ago, we passed a law that said we need to have an inventory of all the federal money so you can see each individual grant through each individual agency with the idea that we would look at those and reduce our dependency on the federal government. You want to know how much we've reduced our dependency on the federal government? We haven't. We're very much more dependent. Now we just have a record of what that looks like. Is this the year when lawmakers take that issue seriously, when they say maybe we shouldn't get a million-dollar grant for the Department of Agriculture or a $500,000 grant for the State Department of Education or whatever that may Is this the year where that's a legitimate conversation that the Joint Finance Preparations Committee is going to have? Potentially. I would say yes with a qualification. I think it'll be hard to, to turn down the money, so to speak. But I think what conservatives should really be careful about is that the money is not used for ongoing spending. If this is one-time money, the worst thing that we could do as a state is to start programs that are going to continue and then the federal money retreats, this very large extra amount, and then the state taxpayer is asked, and it is, then it is not free money. Or, the face, or they have some kind of maintenance of effort requirement where they're told you're spending X, now you must spend right. X plus Y or something like that right. for 10 more years, funding a program you didn't care about in the first place. Right. That's a very real threat. That is. Um, I do want to segue when we talk about the extra money. Really what we should also be talking about is the money that should be returned to taxpayers. And what really is frustrating for people who might not know the process, but for those of us that do, is we seem to have much a much easier time spending money than, than cutting taxes. And the governor even said there's about $450 million available of one-time and ongoing money to cut taxes. And when the tax cuts pass, that money is actually put on something called a green sheet, and it's withheld from JFAC. And it would behoove the legislature to pass those earlier so the money isn't thought of, well, let's just, it's up for grabs, let's go spend it somewhere. So uh, that is another thing that I think JFAC and members and others need to keep in mind that we also need to cut taxes because we have plenty of extra revenues and many Idahoans who are hurting are not getting 2% raises. They're not even getting raises. They might not even have jobs and they could certainly use tax relief. Absolutely. Um, we just have a minute left. Why, I'm not sure, because we have a commercial or some other program. Maybe the Simpsons are coming on afterwards or something. I don't know. But closing thoughts, what's the one takeaway that you hope that um, uh, viewers and listeners get from this exercise in exploring the state budget for 2021? Priscilla? We can end the emergency. And, and Idaho can lead the charge. And when it comes to the dollars and the figures, um, I definitely I want people to try to try to keep up and, and dig into it. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing to um, keep people informed on, on the money and common sense. You bet, Fred. I, I would echo that. There's, at, in, in fact, because we've gotten so much CARES money, we doubly should end the emergency. The amount of FEMA money at risk is just minuscule relative to what the state has received. It's time to end the emergency. 
And it's also time to view the budget through the lens of what makes sense for Idaho, not through the lens of we're in some huge emergency and we just have to rush through all this spending. Very well said. Thank you both for being on the program today. And remember, if there are 105 legislators. If you want us to interview one, somebody that's near and dear to your heart, let me know. Email me, wayne at idahofreedom.org, and we'll look at getting them on here. Until next time, thanks for paying attention. Bye. You've been listening to the Hoftime Report with Wayne Hoffman. Be sure to visit idahofreedom.org for Wayne's articles, IFF research, and show notes from today's episode.